Well, amen and praise the Lord. The King is coming. Hallelujah. The King is coming. What a wonderful and glorious time it is that the King is coming. Thank you, Nicole, for singing that. It is such a beautiful song. And there is one day that the King is coming. And you know, today is Palm Sunday, and we're celebrating today the day that they came in as Jesus was on that colt coming in, and the King was coming into Jerusalem. And they were there singing Hosanna, and they were praising, and they were laying palm branches down and singing that Hosanna to the highest. If you remember last week as we were finishing up the, the feast, and we talked about there was one point in the feast where they did a thing, and that was representing that uh, Hosanna. And Jesus said that he was that Hosanna. Well, today they're all praising him and worshiping him as Hosanna. But today we're going to come and we're going to look at part of the story as we go into Holy Week and as we enter into that beginning today and celebrating Hosanna. I do believe that there are some lessons from the cross that we can learn. While there are several sayings of Jesus on the cross, today we're going to look into the Gospel of Luke at the three sayings that he recorded that Jesus said while he hung on the cross. What we must understand is that in ourselves, there is absolutely nothing that we can do to deserve salvation. In ourselves, there is nothing that we can do to save ourselves. We are separated from God. But through Jesus Christ, everything is possible. Jesus Christ is the answer, and I want us to look today in God's Word. If you would, take your Bibles with me and open them to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 23, and verse 32. Luke 23, and verse 32. Once you turn there, if you'd say, praise the Lord, well, praise the Lord, Luke 23 and verse 32. I ask that you would write where you're at as long as you're not driving and listening to this. If you would stand uh, in front of your TV or your computer screen, wherever you might be, let's stand together out of honor of God's word and let's read from Luke chapter 23 and verse 32. Beginning, Luke wrote, two others also who were criminals were being led away to be put to death with him. When they came to the place called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on the right and the other on the left. But Jesus was saying, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they cast lots, dividing up his garments among themselves, and the people stood by, looking on, and even the rulers were sneering at him, saying, He has saved others, let him save himself, if this is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming to him, offering him sour wine, and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. Now there was also an inscription above him, this is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals 
who were hanged there were hurling abuse at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other answered and rebuked him and said, Do you not even fear God since you were under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed are suffering justly, for we are receiving what we deserve for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he was saying, Jesus, remember me when you come in your kingdom. And he, Jesus, said to him, truly, I say to you, today you shall be with me in paradise. It was now about the sixth hour, and darkness fell over the whole land until the ninth hour. Because the sun was obscured, and the veil of the temple was torn in two. And Jesus, crying out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Having said this, he breathed his last. Now when the satyrian saw what had happened, he began praising God. Certainly this man was innocent. And all the crowds who came together for this spectacle, when they observed what had happened, began to turn, beating their breast, and all his acquaintances and the women who accompanied him from Galilee were standing at a distance seeing these things. Father God, I thank you so much for your word. Father, I thank you that you love us. And Lord God, I ask you right now, Father, Lord, would you help me to step aside? Father, I don't have anything really to say today. Lord, it's a message that you've put on my heart. And Father, would you fill me now with the power of Holy Spirit, Lord, to proclaim your message. Father, would you fill me? Would you speak through me? Father, and would you help us to hear you clearly? Would you help us to hear what you have to say? Father, use me, but also, Lord, help me to hear. Father, as we seek you this morning, Father God, I just pray now that you would open our eyes you would help us to behold wonderful things in your law. Father God, I just pray everything in the precious, most holy name of your son, Jesus. Amen. And you may be seated. Amen. God's word has been read this morning. As we look at lessons from the cross, the first thing I want us to look at is Jesus' love. Jesus' love. What can we find through this saying of Jesus' love? Remember, I told you that we're going to be looking at the three sayings of Christ from Luke's account. And the first one is there in verse 34, when Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Father, forgive them. Jesus' love, we can learn very quickly there because, you see, Jesus prayed for the very ones that were crucifying him. I don't know about you, but love, Jesus had the love. He was praying, Father, to forgive them for they don't know what they do. The very people... 
the very soldiers, the very ones that are right there over Jesus, and they are nailing him to the cross. They're placing nails in his hand. They're placing nails in his feet. Can you hear that? As those hammers hit those nails, Jesus is praying, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. The Roman soldiers were carrying out their obligation, but Jesus' love was there. The very ones driving those nails, and he was praying for. You know who else Jesus was praying for? The very ones that were right there casting lots for his clothes. The only thing Jesus had, remember Jesus talked about he didn't have a home, you know, you know foxes, and, but he had clothes, and his clothes were stripped off. Jesus is now there hung on the cross as a spectacle for all the world to see with his clothes ripped off of him and soldiers casting lots. I can see them just probably right there at the foot of the cross and they're casting those lots or we might say dice to determine who was going to get Jesus's clothes. The only thing he owned, they're taking the very thing that Jesus owned and while they're doing that, Jesus is looking at them from the cross and he says, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they're doing. You know, there was someone else there that Jesus was praying for. Jesus was praying for the very ones that were standing by just to stare and to gawk. You know, execution for some on the cross through crucifixion, that was entertainment. That was something to see. Let's go take a look. Let's get our picnic and go out and watch, especially this one that claims to be the king of the Jews. They're going to crucify him. Let's go see what can happen. So they go, and they're there, and they're looking up at him, and they're laughing at him, and they're mocking him, and, and all the different things that they can do to ridicule him. And Jesus, looking from the cross in torment, remember he'd done had that crown of thorns put on him. He had done been beat with the cat of nine tails. He's done had nails in his hands and in his feet, and they're laughing at him, and they're making fun of him. And all Jesus can do through his love is to look and say, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. You see, Jesus had love for those around during the crucifixion. He was praying for those that were around. But you know else he was praying for? He was praying for you and for me. Because he was there on that cross to take our sins because he loved us. We're the ones that were driving the nails in his hand. We're the ones who were driving the nails in his feet. All the while he's saying, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. His prayer didn't save them, but he had concern and love for everyone that was there. Those physically there, those that were there through uh, time because all sins were placed on him. His prayer 
could also prick hearts. Those driving nails in his hands, those casting lots, those standing by and laughing and sneering and making comments, Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. You know, there's another place in Scripture. comes from the book of Romans that I really believe says this the best way. Let's look at Romans chapter 5 and verse 8. Romans chapter 5 and verse 8. But God demonstrated his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. There it is, while we were sinners. Jesus' love was still there. He knew that there was nothing that we could do. As sinners, there's no way we have a right to go to Jesus. There's nothing that we can do to earn our salvation. There's nothing that we can do to earn our forgiveness. But while we were still sinners, while we were dirty and in the muck and covered in sin, God loved us enough and Jesus loved us enough that he went on to that cross and he died for us. Jesus' love. That's what we learn from the cross. What better way to say I love you than for him to stretch out his arms and to be crucified on that cross. It was Jesus' love. Paul recorded it so well in Romans. Those words of Jesus hanging on the cross. Father, forgive them for they do not know what they're doing. He loved the very ones who should have known better. What do I mean by that? He loved that. If you look in verse 35, it says, And the people stood by looking on, and even the rulers were sneering at him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself, if this is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The rulers, the ones over Israel, they should have known. They knew the history. They knew who the Messiah would be. It was all foretold and portrayed, and the very ones that should have known them, they were the ones sitting there, let him save himself. But because of his love, he didn't come off of that cross. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. Not only the rulers, but the soldiers. They also marked it. Luke recorded it in verse 36. The soldiers also marked him, mocked him, coming up to him, offering him sour wine and saying, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There it is again. Save yourself. Jesus could have. He could have called. But because of his love, because he loved you and he loved me and he loved the entire world, he stayed there on the cross, the rulers who should have known better making fun of him. The soldiers making fun of him. Jesus' love kept him on the cross. Jesus' love caused him to say to the Father, forgive them, pleading on behalf of them, for they do not know what they're doing. You know, another saying was Jesus' grace in Luke 43. And he said to him, truly, I say to you today, you will be with me in 
paradise. Who was he talking to? What is this grace all about? Well, let me tell you, when we began reading, we talked about, and they came to the place of the skull, or maybe Golgotha, or Calvary, depending upon what language you're using. Luke's recording it, and he calls it the place of the skull. There were two people with Jesus, three, three of them being crucified that day. Jesus in the center, one on his right and one on his left. It says that very clearly when it says that they come to the place of the skulls in verse 33 and the criminals, one on the right and one on the left. Why is that important? Remember, I always tell you there's nothing in Scripture that's not important. Why is it important that one was on the right and one was on the left? Let me tell you why. Because one being on the right, one being on the left, both of them had equal access to Christ. If Jesus was hanging on the cross and then there was a thief on his right and the other thief on the other side of that thief, he would have been further away. But we're getting a beautiful picture of the world. Jesus is the center. He is the center of everything. And both criminals on the right and the left both had equal access to him. But let me share this with you. When I was studying, this isn't just a normal criminal. These men were more than just normal criminals. If you look over in Matthew at 27 and 38, Matthew calls them robbers. And what do we know about robbers? But the Greek is very specific with that word that Matthew used, which was these same two criminals. Robbers were those who used violence to rob openly in contrast to the thief who secretly enters the house and steals, these two men may have been guilty of armed robbery involving murder. These robbers, these criminals, were the vilest of criminals. Crucifixion wasn't for everyone. Crucifixion was reserved for the most heinous crimes. And these two criminals, these two robbers most likely had murdered in their robbery, and they're standing there. But what do we know about these two thieves? One on each side. They both had equal access to Jesus. But we also know that both of these men were condemned to die for sins that they had committed. Both of these thieves had committed a sin. They had both been tried, and they're both sentenced to death. They're both on either side of Jesus Christ. They both have equal access. There's nothing hindering the access to Jesus Christ. These criminals both knew what they had done. They both knew their sin. And let me tell you, church, neither one of these criminals had the right to what we call a stay of execution. They were both condemned to death on the cross. There's no second chance. There's no getting off. There's no pleading to a higher counsel. There's no pleading for a repeal. There's no retrial. They are on the cross. They deserve to be on the cross. They're on either side of the center of Jesus who does not deserve to be there. But his grace put him there. He allowed himself to go there. But here's what we need to understand. You want to see the grace of Jesus the grace of those words that we read, truly, I say to you today, you shall be with me in paradise. 
the words of the three men on the cross. There are three men on the cross and three different words from them. Let's listen. The first one, hurling abuses at him. He was unrepentant. Let's look at how Luke wrote it. If you would look with me in verse 39. One of the criminals who were hanged there was hurling abuse at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. There he is. He's hanging on the cross. He deserves to be there next to someone who does not, and he's making fun of him. He's hurling laughs and jeers at him, and you get it right there. He's not worried about Jesus, really. He's worried about himself. He says, save yourself and save us. That's what he was worried about. He wanted to get off the cross. He wasn't talking about salvation, saving for heaven. He wanted to be saved. He wanted Jesus to get off the cross, and maybe, just maybe, if he'd get off the cross, he'd take him off with it. What a selfish man, unrepentant, un regenerate. He would not receive. He said, save yourself and save me. But there was another man on the other side of Jesus Christ. And what do we see from him? But he had an acknowledging attitude. Maybe even you could say he had a confession. Let's look as Luke wrote it in verse 40. I want you to see it. So turn back into your Bibles there in verse 40. But the other answered and rebuking him said, Do you not even fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed are suffering justly, for we are receiving what we deserve for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he was saying, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Can you hear it? This man's done nothing wrong. The one thief is brave enough in front of everyone else laughing in front of his other thief. He's brave enough to say, hey, don't you even fear God? We deserve to be here. I deserve to be here. I understand what I did was wrong. But this man in the middle, this man named Jesus, he's done nothing wrong. He doesn't deserve to be here. And that man doesn't say, save me, Jesus, get me off the cross. Through his heart, he said, Jesus, remember me when you're in your kingdom. He knew Jesus had a kingdom. He knew there was something different about that man. He admitted what he did was wrong, what Jesus hadn't done anything wrong. And the third person on the cross that day was Jesus, and we see Jesus' grace. Oh, praise the Lord. Yes, we do. Look at verse 43 with me. And he said to him, Truly, I say to you, today you shall be with me in paradise. Salvation. Jesus' grace came to a man who didn't deserve it. That's why it's called Jesus' grace. That's what we can learn about the cross. It's for people who don't deserve it. Praise the Lord. I didn't deserve it. No one deserves it. But through a repentant heart, 
Jesus' love and Jesus' grace, we can receive salvation. Jesus' grace showed up. You know, there's a, a better way to, to capture that. Let's take a look over, if you would, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2. And let's look at how Paul recorded about grace. You see, the thief was saved by grace. Ephesians 2, verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith and not of yourselves. It is the gift of God not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. There it is. By grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's Jesus' grace from on that cross. He showed it in a very specific way with someone hanging on the cross who did not deserve it. There was nothing at this point in time of life that he could do to deserve it. He couldn't go back and change anything, which wouldn't change the matter anyway. He's hanging on the cross just moments from death and the grace of Jesus Christ because of his repentant heart and his calling out to the Lord, the love and the grace of Jesus Christ saved him. A beautiful picture of today. You see, Jesus is there in the center of the world, and there are people on both sides, and everyone has equal access to Jesus Christ. Everyone has equal access, regardless of what you've done, and there's nothing that none of us could do to deserve salvation. But because of Jesus' love and Jesus' grace, we can call on him, and his grace will save us. What a beautiful picture on the cross. Nothing he could do, just like there's nothing I can do. But yet he was saved through a repentant heart and a calling out to Jesus. Father, he said, Jesus, remember me when you're in your kingdom. And the gracious words of Jesus, truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. On the cross, three sayings of Jesus recorded by Luke. One shows Jesus' love. Another shows us Jesus' grace. But probably, I, I wouldn't say the most important, the third one shows us Jesus' willingness. Jesus' willingness. Look with me. As Luke records in verse 46, and Jesus, crying out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Having said this, he breathed his last. Jesus stated, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. So thankful for my wife that shared with me earlier something she had heard that's important about this. No one, church, I need you to understand, no one could have taken Jesus' spirit. But Jesus freely and willingly gave up his spirit. When he said that, it was his act of releasing himself to the Father. 
But what else do we know? There's something very interesting I found out in studying that, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit, is a part of a quote from an Old Testament reading. Let's look at Psalm 31. Psalm 31 and verse 5. Psalm 31 and verse 5 says, Into your hand I commit my spirit. You have ransomed me, O Lord, God of truth. What is that? But that phrase, into your hands I commit my spirit, that was a Jewish bedtime prayer. A Jewish bedtime prayer. Into your hands I commit my spirit. What beautiful words also for Jesus to say just before he dies. Because with that prayer, into your hands I commit my spirit. Jesus willingly giving up his spirit. And it says, as soon as he said that, having said this, he breathed his last. Jesus was able to die confidently. He knew he could die confidently. He died willingly. And he died victoriously. Some might have thought, but Jesus knew he didn't give up his spirit out of defeat. He didn't give up his spirit because there was nothing else to do. He didn't give up because he lost. He willingly and he freely gave up his spirit to the Lord because of his love and his grace. And he knew that that was the plan. That was the only way it would work. As we mentioned earlier, he could have called for the angels to come and to take him off of that cross. But because of his love, his grace, and his willingness, he willingly stayed there, committed his spirit into the Father's hands, and he died on that cross to make it final. It is done. The completion of God's perfect will, the life for a life, blood for a blood. God's only begotten son died on that cross that day so that men and women for the rest of eternity would not have to die if they would choose to call on him. The believer with Jesus Christ in their life can die the same way. We can die confidently. We can die willingly and we can die victorious because we have a victorious life with Jesus Christ in our life. Amen? The life of Christ, His love, His grace, His willingness. When that happened, when Jesus Christ knew things were completed, something happened. We see in Scripture, verse 44, it says, Now about the sixth hour, Darkness fell over the land until the ninth hour. The sixth hour till the ninth hour. That would be in our time at 12 noon until 3 o'clock. The brightest time of the day, the middle of the day, it become dark over the earth. It become dark. Let me tell you what, let me put to rest a myth that I found in reading through and studying that there are many out there that claim, oh, that was a natural phenomenon, it was an eclipse. Let me share with you, it was impossible. You hear me? Impossible. Not possible 
to be an eclipse because we were at the time of the Passover, which would have been a full moon. You can't have an eclipse in the middle of the day with a full moon. Physically not possible. Darkness fell over. God was clothing over probably the world, we could say, because of all the sins coming and resting on Jesus Christ. And for those few split moments, Jesus Christ was separated because of sin from his father, But when he committed, the moment he died, salvation was done and he was restored to the Father. Also during that time, the veil in the temple that separated the Holy of Holies where a priest could only go in once a year to do sacrifices for the people for the year. That veil was torn from the top to the bottom and split wide open saying we no longer have to go through a mediator. We go straight to the Father because of the Son's willingness to die on that cross. And when he died and he said those words, Father, into your hand I commit my spirit. Having said this, he breathed his last. And at that moment, he died. He breathed his last. And there were people gathered around there. And we see in Luke's recording three responses to the death of Christ. Three responses. Let's look at the first one from the centurion. And we see that in verse 47. In verse 47, Luke writes, Now, when the satyrian saw what had been happening, he began praising God, saying, Certainly, this man was innocent. The satyrian, certainly, this man was innocent. The satyrian saw the darkness that fell over. He saw the darkness. That ain't normal. The middle of the day, and all of a sudden, darkness falls over. He also saw how Jesus died. He committed his spirit to the Father, and he breathed his last. The centurion knew the man was innocent. But we also see the crowds. If you'll take a look there in verse 48. And all the crowds who came together for this spectacle, when they observed what had happened, began to return beating their breast The crowds returned, beating their breast. They saw something different. They saw the love of Jesus. They saw the grace. But more than anything, they saw the willingness and the difference. Jesus said, into your hands I commit my spirit. And they began to one by one turn. They began to walk away. They began to go home. Some so realizing that this man was different that they began to beat their chest, beat their chest. That was their reaction. Probably not believers, but maybe what they saw convicted. It's not just any person that dies that the whole earth just goes black and gives up his spirit. Some were beating their breast in sorrow, maybe saying, what on earth have we done? There's something different about him. And then we also see verse 49, and all his acquaintances and the women 
who accompanied him from Galilee were standing at a distance seeing these things. His friends, everyone else has walked away. Jesus hanging up there for all to ridicule, to sneer, to laugh at. The women, they're still there at a distance. His friends are there at a distance. Jesus' willingness, he freely gave up so that we could have salvation. Jesus' willingness is for shown because, as we've said already, he could have called on a thousand angels. He could have called and had those angels come and remove him, but he willingly stayed there because he knew this one thing, and this is the key to everything right here at church. His death on the cross is the only way for us to have eternal salvation. He so loved us. He so much wanted to put his grace out for us that he stayed willingly on that cross and suffered the beatings, the crowns, the mockery. But his willingness kept him on the cross because he knew there's no other way, nothing that we could do, nothing that we could do to restore ourselves to him but through the cross. You see, Jesus is a loving God. Jesus is gracious. And Jesus is willing. Just as we saw three responses to the death of Christ on the cross, I want to ask you right now, what is your response What is your response to Jesus' death on the cross? Maybe you say, I've never responded to that death. And today, I need to receive Christ. I need to be like that thief on the cross. I need to repent and I need to confess and agree with God that my sins are against him and that he sent his son Jesus Christ down to earth to live a perfect life because we were separated. He died on that cross because he only the perfect sacrifice would work his blood shed. And you say, I need that today. Certainly this man was innocent. I'm not. If that's your response, in just a moment, the number's going to come up on the bottom of the screen. And I encourage you, at the very moment you see it, you pick up that phone and you dial the number and you call us. And let me encourage you, if you call and it's busy, call back. If someone, we're talking to someone, we want to talk to you, don't let that deter you. Maybe you say, you know, I've surrendered to that cross. I've come there and I've acknowledged that. But today, Holy Spirit is convicting me and saying, you know, you hadn't been living right. You took the grace of Jesus and you made it cheap. You've done nothing with it but a fire ticket out of hell. Well, a relationship with Jesus Christ is more than that. 
A relationship with Jesus Christ is to make him Lord and Savior of your life. Do you need to respond today and say, I need to put you back on the top, Father. I need you to be Lord and Savior of my life. A relationship is to grow and to grow and to become more like him through the graciousness gift of the Holy Spirit. We become justified at the moment of our salvation, and then we begin to grow and to become more like Christ. We call that sanctification. Is that where you're at? Do you need to grow? Do you need to put him back up in just a moment? You're going to have an opportunity, and you can begin even right now praying out to the Father. But I encourage you to listen real quick for just a moment. Jesus loves We've seen that right there through his words. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. Jesus is gracious. Truly, I say to you today, you shall be with me in paradise. And Jesus is willing. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Are you ready tonight to lie down and to say, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit? Turn it over to him now. Are you confident that when you go to sleep, that if you were to, even in before you go to sleep in the next few moments, if you were to die, would you be able to die confident and victorious? While Satan might have think he won, he didn't. Because when Jesus died on the cross, he died confident, he died willingly, and he died victorious for you and for me. I'm going to give you just a moment to allow Holy Spirit to speak to you. I'm going to ask you real quick, don't turn your TV off yet. Don't stop watching because I've got something I need to share with you at the end. We're almost done, but watch. Let's listen. I'm going to give you a few moments. The number six going to come up on the bottom of the screen, 318-697-4444. We're standing by and we're waiting to answer that phone. What's Holy Spirit speaking to you right now? Can you do business with God right where you are? Pastor's going to shut up for just a couple of moments and let Holy Spirit speak to you. Father God, I pray right now as people are sitting around or standing, Lord, whatever they may be do watching this, Lord, would you speak to them now? Father, would you communicate with them? Would you show your love and your grace and your willingness calling out once more? Come home. Come home. Father God, I thank you for your love. Father, thank you so much. And Father, I just pray everything in the precious, most holy name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Let me just share with you, I know, I hope you've received your newsletters by now. If you're on our mailing list, if you're not, you would like to receive our newsletter, give us a, a phone call, uh, uh, the number that you saw a moment ago, and let us know. But I know you've received that newsletter, and in it it said I was going to be sending out the prayer calendar 
for our Annie Armstrong Easter offering uh, week of prayer and the offering envelopes for that. They did not come in your newsletter. We are sending them to you separately this week. You will be getting them this week in the mail. And here's what I encourage you. I encourage you to prayerfully consider giving above and beyond your tithe and offering to this offering. Tithe and offering we can give to the Lord saying, even in this uncertain time, I believe, Lord, you will still take care of me. And out of obedience and a willing heart and a joyful heart, you send your tithe and offerings. And above and beyond that, what the Lord places on you, send to the Annie Armstrong Easter offering because our missionaries survive off of monies that we send corporately together. They're struggling And I do encourage you to pray about that. I don't ask that lightly during these times. And I ask that you continue to give your tithe and offering. Your church is still open. It's still working. God is still blessing you. God will see us through this. And he will provide for us, church. Right now, I want us to say together, I want to say the words, praise the Lord in just a moment saying that we believe God is still on the throne and together. Let's say it together. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Look forward to seeing you back. We will begin our prayer week next week. We will begin on Sunday. And then as we go through Holy Week this week, there will be some other videos coming out. Look forward to seeing you again. And may God bless you. Praise the Lord.